Morning, Christ coming at church. I uh, I feel really corny sometimes when you end up preaching on something that's kind of related. Um, so I try to I kind of try to dodge that. Like one time I ended up, you know, that passage in First Corinthians nine where Paul talks about like fighting to win the prize. Like one time I was teaching through First Corinthians. And that day lined up with Super Bowl Sunday. So I, at youth that week, I had to t- talk about f- running to win the prize and fighting to win. And I was like, oh, man, why, why do I have to do this? Lord, why do, why do you make me acknowledge the Super Bowl Sunday like this in, in my sermon? I don't like doing this. I feel corny. Well, we're, we're in the end of Hebrews 11, which talks about fighting and suffering and, uh, and conquest and sacrifice. And it's Memorial Day. Uh, the Lord, again has provided me with an analogy uh, based on uh, the holiday that we, uh, we, we recognize and celebrate as Americans. I think it's great. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to be confused. I think it's great, to, like Mark said, to, to recognize this holiday and the gift uh, that we have as Americans. But that's not what we're primarily remembering this morning. We're remembering a greater sacrifice and a greater victory. So, um, but when, when I think about valor and sacrifice, and men who have faced those, those circumstances of, of battle and loss, um, those, those, those scenarios are so far from me. I'm very, I'm very detached from what it's like to be in a scenario like that. So my, my greatest uh, picture, my, my, most, my closest picture of what that actually looks like is things I've seen in movies. <laughs> Uh, I, I haven't experienced anything like that. But I, there, are, there are certain movies. Right now I'm kind of going through a list of like all-time guy movies. I'm not going to give you my list because I can't condone everything on all of those movies. But these all-time, these all-time guy movies where there's a man who is so compelled for some sort of heroic reason to, to fight. It's not just that he's, not that he's the most you know, the baddest man in town or something like that, or it's not about all the action scenes or anything like that. It's just a, it's, it stirs something when you watch these kind of movies, like, uh, you, that you feel like, wow, man, that's, he's so moved by what he believes in, he's willing to fight and to sacrifice and to die, and it just, it's, it's, there's something so inspiring about, about watching those things. It brings out something in you, like, yeah, I, I want to fight too, yeah, I, I want, I want to fight for what that guy's fighting for. Uh, it, it stirs something in you. Those are, those are my favorite type of, of guy movies or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I had an experience that in, in real life uh, to be in Normandy on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Uh, and so I'd never been to France before. Things I'd heard about French people were not super becoming. I was, not, I, had, I was pretty sure I was not going to be fond of the pretentious French who hated Americans or whatever. So, but we go to Normandy. It's on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. There's American flags everywhere, plastered everywhere. And there's, you know, I go, we walk on the beaches and people are remembering these sacrifices. There's old veterans who are just barely still hanging on from World War II who were there. And it's like the, the people there are just like thanking them. They're like so inspired and thankful. It's like, wow, man, what a, what a, powerful, uh, what a powerful day of, of remembering sacrifice. Um, they, that, there were men that were willing to 
come across the ocean and fight and die for what they knew was right. There's something about remembering or seeing those examples, looking at those examples that really inspire us to want to follow in those footsteps, that see something so meaningful and honorable that you would want to go forward. So today, on Memorial Day weekend, let's, let's remember a greater sacrifice. Let's, let's look at these examples of faith. It's, yeah, as we look here, what is the author of Hebrews trying to do as he paints this example in the hall of faith, but to inspire this audience who's been suffering to be able to go and to fight? And how does he do it? He gives them examples of people who both fought and won and fought and died. And that's where we are today. So if he, the original author of Hebrews, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to stir that original audience up to go fight in faith as, we, as they read these examples, I pray that as we look at these different examples and we remember men and women who have suffered or seen victory in, in their fight of faith, that we too would be inspired to blaze forward in faith. And to fight. So turn with me to, to Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. Normally what I do when I, when I preach through a passage is I'll start, um, I'll start by, uh, by explaining everything that's in the context of the actual passage and jump right into it. I'm actually going to hold off contextual observations for a second because I want to define something. When I say to fight by faith, I think there's a couple of key terms I want to define so that what I'm saying this morning doesn't get misconstrued into other things because there's lots of, lots of definitions of what people could say, you know, I want to fight in faith as a Christian. What is our faith? If you look at the end of Hebrews 11, the last two verses say, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I think it can be kind of confusing when you're looking at Hebrews 11 to understand, you know, that what are they having faith in? What is the thing that their faith, their fo- the, the focus of their faith is in? Because even earlier, it's talked about them desiring a better country. So you can almost build this picture as you're reading through Hebrews 11 that their faith is that they're going to go to heaven someday. And so it almost imply then, as he says, they haven't received what was promised, that there was this kind of waiting period for these men and women who had faith and they died, that they didn't receive that yet. And that's not, that's not what they didn't receive. That's, that's, that is not the object of their faith. I want to make sure that's clarified here. They, have, they had been given promises from God There's tons of promises throughout the Old Testament. They had already received those. They had already received the word of God. And a lot of them are are already in heaven with the Lord, experiencing eternal life. But what they had not received was the fulfillment of all of God's promises in Christ. Right? Right? God had promised all of these things, all of these blessings towards the Israelites, but he had not yet shown a guarantee. He has not yet made good. There was nothing that was saying, yeah, this is how I know all of these promises were fulfilled. So far, God had said it, and he said there was going to be one that would come that would fulfill all of these promises. And so we are perfected 
along with them by looking at what the, the guarantee of all God's promises in Christ. That's why right after this in Hebrews 12, it says we are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is what has made our faith perfect. He is where all the promises of God are fulfilled in. So our, when, we're, when we're talking about the faith that we have. It's not just faith that we will go to heaven someday. That's certainly a blessing of the gospel. But our faith is that Jesus came and did and, and accomplished everything that God said he was going to do. That's what our, the object of our faith, that's where the author of Hebrews wants us to be thinking when he's talking about what, what, what these men and women were looking forward to that they hadn't yet received and what we have already received the fulfillment of our faith. All of the promises of God have already been fulfilled in Christ. That's the object of our faith. The fight of our faith. That, that word, how do you fight in faith, that, that can be taken a lot of different ways. Um, I, Mike Nix and I, we meet, we meet every other week. If you want to talk with Mike, he's got tons of stories, but I recommend putting some time on your calendar because he can just share a story after story after story. I love it. I just drink it in. And so he was talking to me, and now I'm probably going to butcher the story, so you have to go ask Mike afterwards for the real version of the story. But he said early on in his church-going days, even before he was a believer, he went to like a fighting fundamental Baptist church. And some of you know what that means, some of you don't. It's not super relevant to the story. But they, they were very legalistic and very much about, you know, this is what, this is what being a believer looks like, so we're going to fight against those pagans in the world, and we're going to go, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight. We're going to go pick fights with people who are not like us. And so there is a, they, they would do these evangelistic rallies, and they would have people come in, um, and speak and talk about, you know, avoiding the, the world's evils and, and doing this and doing this and doing this, that you can, you can be saved, which is obviously not the gospel, but um, there was a biker who came into town one time, and he was, he was a part of this biker gang, and he had stopped at the church for some reason. I can't remember. I'm, again, I'm butchering the story, but he comes in, and he talks with the pastor as he stops there, and he gets converted. He doesn't go back to his gang. He stays at the church. He moves into town. He stays with this small, fighting fundy church. And so a couple years go by. He's part of this church, and uh, the, the fight they're picking now is there's a liquor store going in down the road. And well, we don't want the liquor store going in, so we're going to go pick it. We're going to make sure that this, this place is ruined. They, they put it in the papers. There's you know, this, whole, this whole fight going on about um, this, this liquor store. Well, the liquor store is about to go in. And it seems like the fight has been lost. They're picketing. They're, all of their, their campaigning against it has not gone well. One night, mysteriously, the liquor store blows up. Everything destroyed. And that biker, he left town just mysteriously that same day and nobody ever saw him again. And there's now articles that say, kaboom, did, the, did the, this, this church blow up this liquor store? And they're trying to see if the blame was really on the church. And um, yeah, <laughs> that is not what our fight in faith looks like. <laughs> so I'm not trying to tell you to go blow up liquor stores. Um, <laughs> but people get really, you know, we, we get impassioned by our faith. We want to go do something. So how can, how, what does our fight actually look like? The word fight can take on a lot of different meanings. When you talk about fighting, you could talk about arguing or disagreeing. 
that. So when you see somebody who's teaching something that's wrong and you want to correct them, you don't want to make sure that, that people aren't, aren't believing the wrong things. So you, you know, that's a false teacher. I'm going to correct them. You, that could be fighting and arguing. That could be one way that you, the, when you think about the word fight, you could think about fighting like that. You could think about struggling politically, right? Or you, maybe there's like a social, um, like there, there's, a, there's a cause that you're really passionate about. You see people suffering. You're wanting to fight for those people's um, comfort. And we want, we want legislation to be passed. Or you, you see that there's a, a really important um, uh, social reform that you want to take place. So your, your politician or party of choice, you're really passionate about that. You want to fight for that. That's one way you could talk about fighting. Uh, you could talk about literally fighting, like waging war with weapons made by human hands, militarily fighting, you know, going against someone who's evil and stopping them with weapons. I'm not going to parse out all of those things. Those things, I'm sure the Lord has different circumstances where those are appropriate for the people of God to fight in those ways, but that is not our primary fight. Because we see that when Jesus was falsely accused and there was people slandering him and saying the wrong things about him, what did he do? He didn't answer every critic, but he actually remained silent. We see that that many of the Jews rejected Jesus as being a, not being the political figure that they wanted him to be. That even mockingly, as he hung on the cross, they said, oh, he, th- he called himself king of the Jews? Some king he is. He doesn't look like any other king. So they put king of the Jews over him to mock him because he wasn't the political figure that they thought he would be. The one time that Peter lashes out in violence, Jesus rebukes him. He cuts off the guard's ear while Jesus is being arrested, and Jesus rebukes him and says, that's not our fight. There may be times or places for fights like that, so, but, but, but what is our actual fight? How do we actually fight? Ephesians 6 talks about this. I know we're in Hebrews 11. I like to try to stay in the passage, but again, I just want to define fight as I use that word. What am I talking about? Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over, the, the, uh, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our fight is not against other people. Our primary enemy is against the unseen spiritual forces that are waging war in the heavenly realms. That's where our primary enemy is. In Christ, our call to fight is different, right? And we see that, that, that when, when we think about these, these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are, are at waging war against the world, we once were overcome by those same spiritual forces, were we not? We were once under that domain of darkness, right? Ephesians also talks about this, that we were once following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were once under this domain of darkness and even fighting for the wrong side. So when we were the enemy, when we were following after Satan, how did God conquer us? 
How did God defeat that enemy in, uh, that, was, that was in our hearts? That was us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 continues right after. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what conquered us is the gospel, the love of Jesus, the rich grace and mercy, the kindness of God towards us through what Christ has done. That was what won the war in our hearts. So as we are called to fight in faith, we are called to fight with that weapon of the gospel, of the love of Jesus, against the enemy of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Another passage I think of is the first few, passages, or the first few chapters of Mark. Jesus, in Mark 1, it talks about Jesus. He says this, Now John, after... Uh, now John, after now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's ushering in the kingdom of God. He's saying right here in, in me as a person, the kingdom of God is right here. And as he came in, this theme of God, him ushering, starting to usher in the kingdom of God is all throughout the book of Mark. So, Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of God. And then, then in, and he's doing it through the gospel. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how he's bringing in his kingdom against this evil kingdom. And Mark 3 even talks about this evil kingdom. when they are, they are accusing him of casting out demons by the power of demons. And Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. So Jesus says, I am here bringing in my kingdom. And he even calls Satan's kingdom a kingdom. If a kingdom is divided against itself. When he's talking about Satan, how can Satan cast out king, uh, Satan if a kingdom is divided itself? So there's this kingdom of Satan that's ruling over the earth. And Jesus, in, through the gospel, is ushering in the kingdom of God. And he says, I've come... And through what I've done, I've tied up Satan and I've thrown him in the closet and it's time to tear down his house with my kingdom through the power of the gospel. So we are called to fight by going into the strongholds of darkness in the nations all over the world and in our country and in our towns and in the lives of people around us and to share the gospel so that people would know that love of God. We boldly enter into that battle because we know what Jesus has already done. He has brought in the king, kingdom of God through what he has done on the cross. He has tied up the strong man and that Satan, our enemy, cannot stop the power of the gospel. This is, this is how we fight. We go into darkness in this world with the gospel to Usher in the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan. So when I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about fighting. That's what I'm. That, those those are the terms I'm using. So now I want us to turn to. I, I want us to actually focus on Hebrews 11, this passage this morning. I'm going to read this passage for us. Uh, Hebrews 11:32 through 30 or through 40 says. 
And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is God's word. So, I appreciate what the author of Hebrews acknowledges here at the beginning of this passage, where he says, time would fail me if I went into every example. And as I studied this passage, I found that to be largely true, that if I went into all 21 of these examples of faith, time would fail me, and we would be here probably until 3 o'clock. So I am not going to dive in to every single example here, but I would encourage you, if this is, this is, these are very stirring examples, and you can find examples of where all of these people of faith accomplished all of these things throughout Scripture, and if you want an outline to study those things, here's Hebrews 11. Go ahead and study, go back and study how these men of faith followed and walked in faith. That's, it's, it's stirring. I'm going to be glazing over them in a way. So I just want to acknowledge that uh, before we start. So what we've already talked about, right? Our faith is in Christ, and he is the fulfillment of all God's promises, and we fight spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, and we're dismantling Satan's kingdom and ushering in the kingdom of God through the gospel, right? That's our, that's our faith to fight. But how do we fight in faith? What ex- looking at the examples in this passage, how can we learn to fight in faith by the way that they fought in faith? I think that's where the context of this passage is really important. Think about what the book of Hebrews is all about, right? These are suffering Jewish believers who have been going through a lot, so much, that, that, so much suffering that they're like, I, I'm not sure I want to keep on making this faith in Jesus my, like my first thing, my primary thing. Kind of just want to go back to living the way things were beforehand so that I don't have to go through all of this suffering. And then the author of Hebrews writes them and says, no, make, keep making this the most important thing. And so all the chapters before this, they've been really elevating, he's been really elevating Jesus as much greater than anything else. They have to hold on to Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to him. Don't let this, don't, don't fail to draw near. Don't, don't let go of these promises. Hold fast to him. Then we have a very serious warning in Hebrews chapter 10 about, about letting go of Jesus, about how fearful it is to fall into the hands of the living God. But then he reassures them at the end of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. 
He says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he's saying, you're not those who shrink back, but you're those who have faith. So to fight in faith, I think really what he's getting at here as he's going through Hebrews 11, he's building this example of what faith looks like. And it's no coincidence that he ends with these, all these examples of conflict so that he's thinking about what's actually going on in their lives. They are really experiencing conflict, pushback, and struggle. People telling them to stop walking in faith. And he, he, he gives examples of victory that could encourage them and say, as you fight, the Lord might provide you victory and he might allow you not to suffer. But then he also provides examples of endurance and suffering so that the, what they're going through right now, he, that they would know this is victory in faith as well. This endurance of suffering and what comes right after this in Hebrews chapter 12. But he says, you know, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's really building their faith to endure the suffering as they're battling, as they're fighting, fighting in faith. He's, he's wanting to give them examples of people who suffered and endured victoriously because they believed that the promises of God were going to be fulfilled in Christ. And now that they have seen Christ, he wants them to hold fast to that promise and to fight in faith. So, there's, there's differences. I also want to distinguish this. That it, you know, it says, by faith they did this. By faith they did that. Right? Um, I'd say in all of the different 21 different by faith examples, by faith conquered kingdoms, or by faith they were tortured and refused to accept release, that those, that those after, what comes after by faith is not necessarily, that was not their, the, so much describing their actions of faith, but how God met them in their faith, right? That they became mighty in war and strong out of weakness, that was because their faith, you know, they, because of their faith, now they're just super strong. It's because they had faith in God, who is super strong, and in spite of their weakness, God made them strong. That's why the, the author of Hebrews goes and says, all these though commended through their faith. That's, he's showing how God met each and every one of them in their faith. So it's not that faith makes, you know, faith is what causes you to conquer, or faith is what causes you to endure. Faith is, is really... Uh, the, the action of faith is to not shrink back, like it says in Hebrews 10, 39, but to blaze forward. Not to shrink back, but to blaze forward. Every one of these 21 examples, God chose weak men and women, and then instead of having them, because they believed that God was true, they didn't shrink back and run away. They blazed forward towards the conflict, knowing that God is going to be victorious. And then God met them in all of these different ways. Why did they blaze forward? Why, what, what kind of confidence did they have to blaze forward? If you look, if you look at the, what God's people faced, there are things that you shouldn't blaze forward to. Right, when it talks about all of this, this conquest uh, in, 
in verses 32 through the 35a, it talks about conquering kingdoms, or it talks about being made, being made mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. And so many examples you see in the Old Testament of these things that he's generally talking about. There's the, and it happens over and over again where God's people are overwhelmed completely by numbers. They're surrounded. They are on the brink of utter destruction, and their enemies are all around them. And how on earth are they going to win this? They are surrounded by overwhelming enemies. Why would they blaze forward towards these overwhelming enemies? Or even think about here, it gives examples of the mouths of lions being stopped, right? These devouring beasts. There's, if you're talking about any scary animal out there, lions is like top three. It's, you're, you're not, you're, that's, that's a pretty scary beast to face. But they, they, why, why would they face the lions? A fiery furnace, you know, that, gives you, that brings you back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And the men that were throwing them into the furnace were consumed before they even got into the furnace. How did they have faith to walk into that furnace? They knew they were going to be incinerated. Why would they go towards that? There's a world full of opposition, as we see especially in the later halves, the 35A through, uh, through 38, of all these people who suffered, Right? Anywhere the gospel is, there's no shortage of torture and mistreatment, of oppression from governments, of the the rulers of the world conspiring against the Lord and against his anointed, trying to throw his bonds off of them. That follows God's people everywhere and has always and will always. Why would they blaze forward towards these overwhelming odds? Why would they be willing to lose all of these possessions in their life to walk around destitute and goats and sheepskins and to be rejected by the world and to not have a home anywhere, to live in deserts and caves? Why would they do that? Why would they blaze forward towards all of these things? Why would they blaze forward in spite of their own weaknesses? You know, how could they blaze forward? Think Think about these men who are listed here first. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. I could go through that list and talk about all of the weaknesses of each of these men. A lot of them, I'm sure if you're familiar with those stories, you look at those guys and are like, they're in the hall of faith? What on earth are they doing in there? John Owen makes a point. He says, thank the Lord that our, that our faith is not dependent on our merit, right? Thank God for that, that we don't have to earn our faith through being how good we are. And these men are examples of immoral people who are weak, but still are on the hall of faith. They're weak morally. But I would also note this, that none of them are on the hall of faith because of their moral failures. They're like, they're not, we're not talking about David and how he faithfully killed you know, Bathsheba's husband and, and married her illegitimately. But it's not that we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about how they obeyed in faith. And when you're acting in faith, you are going to be obeying. While this, there are immoral men on this list, none of them are recognized for their faith and how they acted immorally. Faith will compel us to obey and to blaze forward to do what God has told us to do. So we blaze forward, they blazed forward in spite of their own moral weaknesses. 
and it even it just has a general phrase right there in 34 where it says they were made strong out of weakness and i think that the author of hebrews leaves this really vague term of weakness here to include lots of different forms of weaknesses can you imagine all the different things that all the different excuses you can imagine them in your own life right all the things that would make you not want to blaze forward not want to obey when you feel called to do what the lord has told you to do right that's that maybe they felt physically incapable Maybe they felt intellectually incapable of fighting that fight. Maybe they felt like their life, circumstance, uh, life circumstances weren't ideal to go into that fight. Maybe they felt emotionally destroyed and wrecked, that they didn't have the emotional capacity to enter into this fight that the Lord has called them to. Maybe it was because they felt like there was no hope of being at the mercy of these cruel and corrupt governments that were, that were oppressing them. There's all sorts of excuses that they could have made of their own weaknesses because they're like you and I, full of weaknesses, right? So why on earth would such weak people, so overwhelmed by such great odds, actually blaze forward? Why would they? They blazed forward because they believed what God had promised was true. And that even though they didn't know how, they knew that someday he would fulfill his promises. And we have the fulfillment of all the promises of God in Jesus. When he died on the cross, that victory was won. So fighting by faith means that no matter what the stronghold of darkness is in front of you, that you blaze forward with the weapon of the gospel, knowing that Christ has already won the victory. And what does that victory look like? How can that victory present itself in our lives as we fight? And this is where we can kind of look at these commendations and see some temporal victories that, the God, that God can uh, give us as we fight this fight of faith in our lives. What are some ways we could, what are some results of fighting this faith? What are some ways God meets his people in victory? Because he has already won the victory. He will, we will be victorious. So the kingdom of darkness is torn down. That's one, that's one way God can meet us in this fight. The author notes, right, they, became, they conquered kingdoms that became mighty in battle. They put foreign armies to flight. And Jesus said himself that he has already bound Satan and that we are called to enter in the kingdom of God with the weapon of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. And we can see People living in Satan's prison redeemed, right? These people are not our enemy. The way they act in their sin is not, the, is not uh, that, that's, that's a result of them being captured by our true enemy, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. So we, we can see those people freed from their prison, their miserable prison of sin, just like we have been. That's one way as we blaze forward in our fight that we can see God freeing people from their prison of sin. We can go into battle feeling really weak and incapable sometimes. Have you ever felt that way where God has called you to do something? You're like, Lord, I do not know how you're going to accomplish this. I am not ready for this. I'm not, this is not the time for this, but I, I guess I'll obey. And then you see the Lord equip you with the words to say, the bravery to face that circumstance. You see him defeat the spiritual foe in front of you. We, God can meet you in those times of your own weakness and provide you with strength that is beyond you to accomplish his goals. 
That's why we see these foreign armies going to flight, right? It says they, men were made mighty in war. They were not made mighty in war because they just trained more or something. They were made mighty by the supernatural power of God to defeat his enemies. And we see these foreign armies going to flight. It's not because they were so afraid of this tiny army of weak Israelites. It was because every time God met them and showed that powerful foreign army, you better know there's much more powerful weapon here fighting. That this, the, the all-powerful God of the universe is on their side, and you are going to lose. And that's why these foreign armies went to flight. And that's the same response that the kingdom of darkness has to Jesus, isn't it? Whenever he has a confrontation with a demon, what does the demon do? He begs Jesus for mercy. He's trembling in fear because Jesus has won the victory. And he will put his enemies to flight. He will not be defeated by the kingdom of darkness. Sometimes when you're in the spiritual battle, when you're blazing forward, God will meet you with conquering and victory. Sometimes your threats will be neutralized. God might call you into an inferno, into a a blazing furnace where people would say, if you go in there, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be incinerated. Look at how everyone else in that life, you know, I, wouldn't, I would never go into a neighborhood like that. I'd never live in a country like that. You're going to be destroyed by, by, you know, what kind of fools are we, you know, that we're sending our own, people from our own church into some of the most dangerous parts over around the world where the gospel is forbidden to be, to be preached. Why would we do that? Are we fools to be sending our people into the furnace? No, we're not. Because we know that, if, that Christ is with them and that he has the power to quench the furnace, that he has the power to shut the mouth of lions. We don't need to be afraid of any of our opponents that's, you know, that if he can shut the mouth of the most ferocious beast, beast on planet earth, maybe your adversary or the person that the Lord is calling you to go preach the gospel to, maybe you're afraid of what they would say or how they would respond or how you wouldn't be able to answer them. He shut the mouth of lions before. He, he and it often you see as Jesus Uh, talks to his adversaries, they are left without a response. They're left baffled and confused. He He could eliminate the threat of your adversary. God holds all the authority. When Jesus faces his own crucifixion, he says to Pilate, you have no authority to crucify me that's not given to you by my father. So when it says that people died by the edge of the sword from these cruel governments, Even if the government says you're not allowed to preach the gospel, if God has given you authority to go preach the gospel, he he has the power to withhold anything the government can do to you because he is the one who's truly reigning over all of the nations of the earth. No one can stop his rule. These are some of the ways that God could meet you as you blaze forward in the battle of faith. But remember, you might feel a little bit like the Hebrews here. As you, you read this, like, man, I, maybe I'm not seeing this kind of victory in my own life. Or you know of people who are suffering in, these, in, in great ways. And you say, it's just because I'm suffering like this? Is the Lord not, is the Lord not meeting me? You know, is, am, I not, am I not walking in faith because I am suffering? That's why the author of Hebrews also ends in this other form of victory of endurance and perseverance in spite of the greatest hells that Satan can throw at you, right? Sometimes our victory looks like endurance. I, I think it's, I mean, I mean there's, there's a varying degree of endurance that he even talks about here, right? Like the loss of wealth, wearing 
wearing shabby clothes, not having material wealth because you've lost that for the sake of following Christ, not feeling at home anywhere, not having roots anywhere, but feeling like you're just wandering about, not able to settle down here on this earth because you're wanting to follow Christ. That could be some, and enduring that suffering, God giving you the strength to endure that suffering is a, is a victory because you know in faith there's something greater than your material gain. Our inheritance is in heaven. Sometimes it means trusting God that that when that those who that there will be people who will come after you from in, in authority. I specifically I, I'm especially thinking about those overseas who their their governments are really coming after them because of their faith. And maybe, Lord willing, we would have that opportunity here as well someday. But where the the there where those people might suffer these unjust governments just like Christ did against these unjust governments just like Christ did. And that just as Christ endured this unjust punishment from the government, God would allow these men and women the endurance because of their faith to, en- to endure suffering from the governments, that they would be killed by the edge of the sword and not escape it. Sometimes it might mean enduring even the deepest, darkest bits of Satan's hell. In torture. Think about that. that. That phrase there in 35 where he says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. The ultimate goal, because torture follows the gospel all over, it always has. It, it follows God's people in the world. And some of the most creative ways of harming and putting people through suffering has been invented by the evil one so that saints throughout history could suffer those consequences. And ultimately, Satan's not just trying to get those people to feel really, really bad. What he wants them to do is to accept release by denying their faith, by not holding fast, by not enduring. That's what Satan wants. He's trying to give them the greatest punishment that he can muster in this torture of the human body so that they would know that they should not disobey him. They should follow him. That's the greatest of Satan's hell, though. That moment of torture. And each one of those individuals who were given faith to endure torture and to not accept release and to not turn away from their faith, each of them had this hope of a better life, of greater promises. They were willing to deny Satan and to follow God because they knew his A day with God is better than an infinite number of days with Satan and having rejected God. So sometimes our victory can mean persevering suffering, enduring beyond what what we would be capable of on our own. Those men and women weren't just the most dedicated people that you would ever met. They were, just, they were weak, just like the rest of the people on this list, those that suffered. You might think, I, you know, if I was faced with that kind of suffering, I'd never be able to do that. And you're looking at your own abilities. You say, man, uh, there's no way I could do that. And that's right. On your own abilities, you can't. But God met each and every one of the suffering examples and 
and gave them endurance in their faith. Because they believed God's promises, God provided endurance to suffer. And we can have confidence that whether in victory or endurance, that the Lord will meet us in the battle because he wins. He has already won in Christ. And this is our greatest victory that we will share no matter what happens in your circumstances in life. This is the greatest victory that has been won in Christ. Christ has conquered the kingdom of darkness, and his reign will last forever. Christ has absorbed the judgment that we deserve so that we stand blameless before him. Christ has silenced and bound Satan and will destroy him eternally forever in judgment. Christ has risen from the dead, So like those women who received back the resurrection from their dead, we see Christ in just like that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that we read earlier because we know that Christ has been risen from the dead. We know that we too will be raised from the dead. And there's nothing that can stop that. He has already defeated death. It's done. It will be be overcome when he raised from the grave. We know that we have a, a hope of eternal life, that we will never die. Our victory is already won in Christ. He has already accomplished it all through his sacrifice on the cross. That is our victory, right? Man. And we remember this too. It's important for us to remember this this warning here as well. And I want this to be my first real point of application to you all. The greatest suffering in this life and the greatest hell that Satan can muster is no comparison to the terror of falling into the hands of a living God. So if you are hearing this today, and you're like, man, being a Christian sounds miserable, being overcome, being, being at battle all of the time. Let me also leave you with a, a word of warning today, too, that you might try to hold on to comfort and you might try to hold on to your own sense of your own life and, 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 and shrink back to try to maintain a, a better life here in this world so that you won't have to suffer all that the enemy might be throwing at you. But you will have to answer to the Lord someday. We have already received the victory in Christ. Would you... Would you, by faith, believe in Christ and be free from the judgment that is to come and preserve your souls? I also want us to remember, too, I think it's really important for us to remember this, that God has ordained both victory. Uh, that's a hard, it's a, they're both victory, right? Those who endured and those who conquered. He's, I'll, I'll put it this way. He's, endured, he's ordained both conquest and suffering. So I think there can sometimes be this, and at least in my, my own experience, this illegitimization of like, oh man, I haven't had like a real Christian experience because I'm not in a country where I'm being persecuted for my faith. And know that God has allowed us a different level and and different circumstances of victory than maybe other brothers overseas. And that's for his purposes. He wants us in this time of this specific victory here in, in, in the United States to blaze forward in faith. 
God has given us this circumstance not so that we can enjoy more comforts in life and not so that we can shrink back. He hasn't given us this comfort for that reason. He's, let, he's, he's given us this unique opportunity so we can, just like the rest of the world, blaze forward in faith and fight the fight of spreading the gospel into the dark, darkest areas of the world. So let's blaze forward. Let's re- recognize the, the grace of God of living in this nation and blaze forward. But we also have to remember this too. I don't want this to sound like Christian nationalism here, that the USA is God's country, right? Who reigns over China? Who reigns over China? That's Jesus Christ, right? And there's, there's more Christians in China than just about anywhere else in the world. It's that he can't, they can't be stopped. Just because they're suffering does not mean that God is not ruling, right? He rules over all of the world, every nation. We are not God's only nation. God wants all the nations because he wants every tribe and tongue and people to be worshiping him. He rules over the world. So he's ordained both. And both are a reflection of Christ's rule. And while we're here now, how can we blaze forward in faith? How can you and I blaze forward in faith? Even on our free country, we can think of plenty of places that we can push forward with the gospel. We can go further into the kingdoms of darkness. We know where those strongholds lie, those people, those towns, those places. We can blaze forward towards that with the, the gospel, can't we? Right? There's, there's not lack of opportunity here to fight with the gospel. You can stop using your own limitations and your own excuses for what God has called you to do in faith. Everybody here is weak. Raise your hand if you feel weak, right? Raise your hand if you might feel morally incapable, right? Or if you feel like your own life circumstances are too complicated sometimes to move forward in faith. Raise your, you know, you don't have to keep raising your hand. I just have to say, <laughs> we can all relate with that. Every one of us could be weak, right? We could all be intellectually failing. We could all have our own physical ailments. Stop using your own limitations and limiting what God is capable to do. God has called you to do it. He's going to meet you there, so blaze forward. Don't look at the fiery furnaces. Don't, look at, don't be afraid of the enemy across the battlefield. Don't look at the overwhelming odds that you might face. Don't, don't fear the mouth of the lion. Go forward where God has called you to be obedient with his weapon, trusting he's going to meet you there. Have faith that Jesus has already won that victory. And I think about that, and it's not only in how we as individuals act, right, but how we stir one another up, Right? I think we have just an incredibly unique opportunity. Well, it's not a unique opportunity. God has given us to every church, but I'm so, so blessed that we have several times discipled some of our own, some of our people who we love dearly and sent them into the places that would be scary and sent them to do things that seem impossible because we believe that our victory is in Christ, right? Let's continue to do that. Let's stir each other up and say, continue to go those places. Go into that darkness. Let's think about our children. You know, I think one of the biggest obstacles to missions is parents who say, oh man, I would never want you to go overseas. That, may, that would be too hard on me. Let's let 
let's, let's, let's see these gifts that God has given us in children. Hold them loosely and allow our children to go into the fight. As we see faith take hold in their life, right? If they go into it by, the, by themselves, they're going to get destroyed. They have no chance. They have no victory. Uh, they, they'll be overcome by the kingdom of darkness. But if they're in Christ, if you see God's work in Christ and your children, hold them loosely. Let them go. Think about all of, the play, all of the victory we could see coming out from discipling our children to go into the nations and into the towns and into the dark places of this world, right? And I think, just like these examples, one of the most stirring things that we can do for one another is have such confidence in the hope of Christ. That's why we get together every Sunday and remember that victory, Right? As we get together, and as we gather, and we read God's word, and we remember the truth of the gospel, man, we should be stirred on to remember the victory that Jesus has already won. We should be so motivated by the power of that victory. And then as we're motivated by that, and as God uses us to go into those kingdom of darkness, let's set this example for one another, just like these examples here, and say, you know what? I was tested. I was weak. I knew, but I knew that the Lord was calling me to go into this, this place of darkness, and I went, and this is how the Lord let, met me. As we, more and more of us, begin, be, continue to be obedient to the Lord and following him into the dark places of our own lives, think about what a rousing example that will be. Your comrades, your, your brothers in arms here. As we see victory through the power of the Lord and endurance and willingness to suffer and willingness to face loss, how motivating will that be for us to all blaze forward together for the glory of Christ? Let me pray. Jesus, you are victorious. You are the ultimate victor. You have overcome all of your enemies. Yeah, the the nations conspire against you. You laugh. You hold them in derision. So we kiss the Son, lest he be angry with us, Lord. We, we worship you this morning for the victory that you've won. And I pray that as we look at Christ, our hearts would be stirred, that we would be motivated to go into those dark places of the world. Ah, Lord, thank you for this time together with my brothers and sisters. Would you allow us to stir one another up all the more as we see that day drawing near. I pray these things in your name. Amen.